It's Wednesday, April 16th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and Industry Week continues. Today, we're talking digital media. And I'm alone in the studio, but fortunately, joining me on the phone is Jeff Price. He has spent his career in the music industry as a record label executive, the CEO of TuneCore, which is the largest music distribution and publishing administration entity. And currently, he is the founder and CEO of Audium, a company that gets artists, labels, and music publishers paid when their music is used on YouTube. He joins me now from California. How are you, my friend? I'm well. Thank you very much for having me. Big fan of the show, by the way. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Sucking up to the host. Always a great way to go. I've always said that. I (laughs) figured. I want to talk about Audium in a little bit, but let's start with digital music and companies that we frequently talk about on Market Foolery uh, and the battles uh, as they play out. One of them is the, the music battle, Pandora and Spotify and iTunes. And recently there was a story about iTunes Radio, which I think a lot of people, maybe just by virtue of how dominant iTunes was as a platform for selling music and also just how big Apple is, how much cash they have on hand, that iTunes Radio was just it certainly had the potential to just come in and crush Pandora and Spotify. Uh, but a story recently from Billboard about how, from a business standpoint, iTunes Radio is really not doing a lot to drive sales. Only one or two percent of listeners are really clicking that buy button, and that music buying in general is down. Uh, from where you sit, How do you view the battlefield when it comes to iTunes Radio, Pandora, and Spotify? Well, it's a good question. There's a couple of different angles here. The first one is something you brought up, which had to do with a a lack of sales. And I I believe what you're referring to is when someone listens to a service like iTunes Radio or Pandora, the consumer or listener is not going to then purchase that song via download, let's say. And really what's important to recognize is that doesn't matter for Apple and its market cap. It doesn't matter for Spotify and doesn't matter for Pandora. Music is a means to an end for these companies. And for Apple, it's about a vertically integrated platform where they can get consumers to buy their hardware devices and use their software and control the consumer experience. It's about driving iPhone sales. So the sale of music to an entity like Apple is a happy accident for revenue generation, but is not the means to the end. And whether or not someone's buying music on iTunes ultimately is irrelevant as long as people are adopting their platforms, either their iOS platform or their, you know, tablets, iPhones, MacBook Airs, etc. And for Pandora and Spotify, it's interesting as well. These are two entities that lose significant amounts of money on music. I mean, huge amounts. Look at the the Security Exchange Commission filings of Pandora. Here's a company with a market cap of billions that loses money hand over fist, and it's not like Amazon, right? Amazon's an entity where Bezos literally could, at the flip of a switch, be cash flow positive. I mean, he's just choosing not to. Whereas Pandora isn't choosing not to, it cannot be profitable. However, due to its market share and its ubiquitousness, it has a market cap worth billions, and people are still sort of banking on its ability to become profitable, but it's not there yet. Spotify is a privately held company, which is about 6% owned by the major music companies. And again, here's a company that loses money on music every freaking month, Every freaking quarter, yet its valuation continues to go up significantly to the point where they're doing another round of venture. I think they're putting themselves at a billion-dollar valuation, or they're talking about doing IPO. 
So what's really interesting is that music is the means to an end for these guys. For some, it's selling hardware software like Google. Amazon, it's a loss leader where you sell Lady Gaga for 99 cents, but you get people to come into the store, so to speak, and create accounts and buy other things. For Pandora, it's about market share. For Spotify, it's about getting the original investors out. And I wanted to bring that up. And it, you know, from the music industry side, it's a bit troubling because you used to have an alignment of interests where the artists and the record labels and the distributors and the retail stores were all aligned in the same end, which was we make money off of the sale of music, and that's no longer the case. So with that being said, segueing into the second part of what you asked, there is a battle happening, and it's a battle for the consumer. And you're seeing Google and now Amazon uh, and Pandora to some degree trying to find their way into consumers' lives to be ubiquitous, to be everywhere. And that's how you get the market share, and that's how you win. And the next great battle coming up really is the car. All right, with all due respect for iTunes Radio, Apple has a significant advantage over every other competitor in the market, which, by the way, includes Sirius XM Satellite. Apple has over half a billion registered users with credit cards on file tied into their database with hundreds of millions of people uh, using their hardware and therefore software products. So they've done the pre-aggregation of the consumer base. I mean, if you've got a half a billion people there, imagine if you can squeeze an extra two, three, four, five dollars out of them annually, what that means to your bottom line. So um, I, I frankly, you know, I read the Billboard article and I'm like, yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> Apple, Apple has a huge, <laughs> they just do, they, have a, they just crush everybody else right now. And the real magic is in providing the consumer with the experience they want to have. It's always been that. So, right? and sorry, well, go ahead. Uh, just, I'm uh, sorry to cut you off, but to hear you talk about Pandora and Spotify and Spotify is widely seen as a company that is going public. It's just a matter of time when, but to hear you talk about their, their businesses, then as an investor, I should be running as far away from them as I can. Well, there's short-term, you know, short-term game and long-term gain. It's, you know, it's a Facebook play to some degree, right? When some, when there's a, a company with sizzle and excitement, then it, it launches and people are excited about it and it's being underwritten properly. It usually does a pop-up in the first couple quarters and then, then reality sinks in at some point. You know, and then you've got, of course, the banks and the original investors or the founders who still hold significant equity in the company doing their best through press releases and their you know, quarterly phone calls to talk about why everything is great. But the underbelly is, you know, if you roll back the carpet, it's crawling with cockroaches. There is no long-term strategy that I can see for an entity like Pandora that provides it a path to real profitability. Right now, its valuation is based on its potential of growth. Uh, not on what it's actually able to produce. And it's interesting, Pandora's strategy so far to increase its revenue hasn't been to innovate, hasn't been to create something of greater value. It's been to spend tens of millions of dollars on lobbying in Congress to get the government to reduce the amount of money that it has to pay for the use of music. Literally, metaphorically, the way Pandora works is if you were to record a song, the government comes into your home, metaphorically, puts a gun to your head and forces you, whether you want to or not, to have to give it to Pandora to use for Pandora to make money. And the amount of money you'll get paid for that is also dictated by the government, which is really weird because it's primarily pushed more by Orrin Hatch on the right, which is a Republican, which makes no sense because they're about free market. But anyway, so rather than come up with innovation and get artists and labels and what's called music publishers and consumers more excited about the product, 
Instead, they've spent a bulk load of their time, effort, and energy marching onto Capitol Hill trying to get laws passed to tell the government to force artists to take less money for the wage for the use of their property, which to me is probably not the best long-term strategy if you're looking to grow a company. And then they did another thing. They bought an AM-FM radio station. Sorry, I think it was an AM station in North Dakota, if I remember correctly. And the reason Pandora bought it wasn't because they're getting into radio broadcasting like AM radio. It's because through copyright law loopholes, by owning a, a radio station, they thought they could get into a new legal category which could reduce the amount of money they need to pay to use someone else's property to make money. You've got to give them an A for effort on that one. I mean, oh, God, yeah. in terms of creativity, whoever came up with that idea hopefully got a bonus. <laughs> well, it didn't work. Uh, and, then, and then with Spotify, again, if you listen to Daniel Ek, the CEO, all you hear from him is not about profitability or, or value proposition to the consumer. What he talks about is market share. Right? And so, it's, fair enough, there's a real value to having market share, the thought being, well, if I can corner the market, then I must be a fool not to be able to figure out how to make money off of it. Well, the challenge is there are laws in place that dictate what has to be paid when you use someone else's property. You see, Spotify, Pandora, Apple, they all have a choice. They can go and create their own music if they want, and then they don't have to pay anything, anyone anything. But the problem is it's very difficult to write Hotel California and then record it. So music has value, right? So you have to pay for it. If you're going to use my song and you want to make money off of my song, you have to pay me. And the battle that's happening is how little can we get the government to allow us to pay someone as opposed to allow for a free market exchange and negotiation. And what's Art, what's frustrating me from the music industry side is I happen to believe artists have value, music has value, and artists should have the choice and the ability to say no to something if they don't want it. And the idea that the government is prioritizing a company like Pandora over the creative community to compel them to have to give Pandora their work so Pandora can try to figure out how to make money off of it really isn't the role of an artist and isn't the role of the government. But as getting back into revenue generation, yeah, I'm, I would wonder how these are going to be uh, sustainable businesses in the long term unless the revenue increases and expenses go down. You talked about the, uh, for lack of a better word, the ecosystem that uh, Apple has with iTunes that, that any of these businesses have. And I wonder, one of the things we talk about frequently is the battle for the living room, how all of these different companies are competing to offer television shows, movies, whether it's streaming, through cable, through Netflix, through whatever. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are when it comes to video programming and if it's the exact same situation where ultimately, as consumers, certainly we have plenty of choice. Sometimes it can get a little confusing, but we have plenty of choices. But is it ultimately all about whoever is delivering it via the pipes? Is it all about sort of the video ecosystem as opposed to the content? Um, because, you know, every once in a while there'll be someone making the case for Time Warner should spin off HBO because HBO creates such great content. And think of how much they could get for that if they just spun it off. And I just sort of look at that and say, if I were Time Warner, I would hold on to HBO like grim death because it's, it seems like it's so valuable Internally, well, you know, it's in, it's a very astute, interesting question, and not just because I'm sucking up to you. <laughs> um, you know, look at Google's recent acquisition of Nest. You know, what the hell was that all about? And, and it's all Nest about the is, smart home of the future. Exactly right. So, talk about getting into the living room. 
Um, the car, of course, is outside the living room, and it, it's very important to music. But what you do, you want what happens in your living room to just seamlessly move into your car. And, you know, video is incredibly important. The, the really interesting thing now is, and I don't know if you remember this, it was a number of years ago, maybe it was 10 years ago, there used to be this commercial where there's this guy driving down a highway, and he ends up in the middle of, like, some desert where there's this beat-up, run-down hotel, and he checks in. And he says, what movies do you got? And the person behind the counter says, every movie ever made available instantly whenever you want it. Right? And so it was so, supposed to be a far-fetched concept, and it might have been for Verizon or something. The point now is that every movie basically ever made that you want is, is universally available through multiple services. There's no differentiation anymore. Everybody's got the same freaking thing, right? It used to be... Let's go back to records in music stores for a moment. You could go to a Tower Records or a Virgin Megastore or a Newberry Comics if you're from Boston or whatever, and you had a specific set of music in there, and you can go to another store and you would have a different set of music, although there'd certainly be overlap, but there'd be specialization. Now, no, iTunes has what Amazon has, has what Google has, and the same thing holds true for movies. So it comes back to consumer experience, right? It, the money always follows the behavior of the consumer, always. And when it, the consumers don't adopt the behavior or the technology, it doesn't matter how much you pump into it, right? It just, it fails. And now you're seeing it happening as we move into the on-demand streaming environment where all media, including your own, is available to you 24-7, no matter where you are, through hardware and proliferation of broadband. And what's really fascinating is, is when you look at it, there's two things you see going on. The content creators, let's say the record labels, Ultimately, they controlled the distribution of the content. They made their own distribution channels. That's what the music industry used to be. Now let's look at Netflix. Here's a distribution channel. It's a pipeline that dominated. So now they're making their own content. The two always go both ways. It's really interesting to watch it happen. But your instincts, I believe, are right. The living room, proliferation, adoption of the hardware, seamless integration with everything available on demand at the click of a button is what we as consumers want. And it's how these big companies are going to make money off of us. Uh, your company was just in the news recently. Uh, Audium just got $2 million in funding from a collection of people, including uh, Jimmy Buffett, uh, Jason... How do you pronounce his last name? Moraz. Jason Moraz. See, I'm old. I'm old, you Jeff. Are. You are. We were both uh, old. <laughs> um, wh what are you going to do with this money? And uh, um, as candidly as you can tell me... Um, Who's not happy about this? I have to believe that there's someone out there that's looking at your company saying, oh, I don't like the fact that they just got $2 million um, because it's going to mean trouble and headaches for me. <laughs> T-shirts and plastics. No, um, that, that's a graduate reference. Never mind. <laughs> that one the, I got. <laughs> thank you. This Well, we're not that old yet. Um, geez, who did I piss off with that comment? So to answer your question, what I saw is what I saw previously with TuneCore. I saw a hole in the market. The new music industry is about technology. It's digital. And in the digital world, everything is knowable, right? It's all trackable. All you need is the right database architecture, and, and you need things to match up. And if you can figure out how to match everything up, like when this song is streamed on Pandora, that person gets paid, you've just created pipelines. So what I noticed was what I thought there was a mess with. I, saw, I thought there might be a mess within YouTube. Right? And the way YouTube works is when 
If, if you were to take a video of your three fingers wiggling, you've just made a piece of copyright-protected material that no one can use without a license to you. It's just the way the world works. When you go to YouTube and you upload that video, you're granting YouTube the right to reproduce your video to let other people watch it. If you like, when you go to YouTube and you create your, your account, which is called a channel, you can click a button that says Monetize, and when you do that, it allows YouTube to put an advertisement on your video. And if the viewer of your video watches 30 seconds of it or clicks on the banner or text ad that appears around it, it generates revenue because the advertiser pays YouTube. YouTube then keeps 45% of that money and pay you 55%. And that's how they generated their about $6 billion in 2013, which is up about 80% over 2012. And there's huge growth coming at, at YouTube. Now, if you take that same video and you put a song into it, let's say you put the song, I Will Always Love You, as performed by Whitney Houston, right? that video before that had one copyright now has three copyrights. It has one for the video itself of the three fingers wiggling. Sony Records hired Whitney Houston to sing that song. So Sony Records owns the recording of that song. And guess what? Dolly Parton wrote the lyrics and the melodies to that song. Oh, which that's is another right. Copyright, right? So you literally now have three copyrights in that video. And in order for YouTube to put an advertisement on that video, all three copyright holders have to say, yeah, it's okay, because if they don't, then it's called copyright infringement, and YouTube could be sued. So YouTube came up with a solution to the problem, which is a very com complex direct licensing scheme where they do deals with the Sonys of the world and the Dolly Partons of the world, and they allow Sony and Dolly to go into YouTube and find videos using YouTube's technology and their own technology and manual labor to find videos using the songs. And when they do, ads get put on them and money flows through. So I was looking at this thing, and I was thinking... YouTube is a technology company. It, it's a hell of a lot more, but I'm going to reduce it to a generalization for this conversation. Right? YouTube is a database. It's a giant database of information, and they need to know who owns what and get rights clearances in order to pay people. That allows it to grow. On the flip side, you've got the music industry. The music industry is not a technology industry. The music industry is about sex and drugs and rock and roll. It's about finding bands and flying on a plane that says Led Zeppelin on it. It's not about XML2 schemas with non-relational big data, da NoSQL big data databases. I mean, that's like Greek to most people on the planet. So the problem is, metaphorically, YouTube is the VCR I gave my mother in 1982, and the music industry is my mom. And they can't set the damn clock, right? <laughs> and, and it's not anyone's fault. It's just, it's different languages. But because you've got the different languages speaking to each other, there's a lack of efficiency, it's not working properly. I'm really good at setting the clock. And I'm really good at setting the clock in the music industry. It's the technology I build along with my copyright understanding. So I thought I could go in there and create efficiencies to help entities that control either the lyrics and melodies to a song or the sound recordings get the money that they're owed for the use of their music within the YouTube environment, which, by the way, is the number one place on the planet where people go to share, discover, and stream music. I mean, it kicks the butt out of Pandora. You could add Pandora, Spotify... Apple together, and YouTube is like 10,000 feet above them. It's, it's a monster. So by monetizing that, I think everybody wins. Consumer gets a free experience. There's no charge to them. Advertisers have a new way to reach the people they want to reach, and the music industry has found a way to monetize their, their copyrights because the consumers are sort of doing mashup culture. They take their video along with someone else's music, and they create something new with it. And the next thing you know, we have double rainbow. I really hope that someone listening 
has the initiative to create the three fingers wiggling, uh, wiggling video uh, <laughs> set to music as you as you laid it out. And then just uh, send us uh, an email, radio at fool.com, or shoot it to us on Twitter at MarketFoolery. Uh, that would just make my year. Uh, Jeff Price is the founder, CEO of Audium. Thank you so much for being here, my friend. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>